When Stupid Book Club began, it wasn't intended to be quite as stupid as it became. Our plan was to read aloud a book in its entirety over a number of weeks. I suggested our inaugural novel be Grace Metallius's Peyton Place, a book I believe to be an underappreciated masterpiece of popular fiction. A damn good read with a social conscience ahead of its time. I'm not alone in this belief. Given the relative low brownness of the suggestion, there was some pushback. Still, people were game. Things went well at first because it is a damn good read. By our second get-together, we were more than 50 pages in. And then came the first scene where little Norman Harrington's mother gives him an enema. With dinner imminent, this vividly rendered moment was too low a brow for the group. And Allison Mackenzie et al. were abandoned, as was the plan to read aloud a book in its entirety. Who knows what literary heights Stupid Book Club might have reached if I had suggested a different book. Erskine Caldwell's Tobacco Road, say. Oh well, we'll never know. Welcome back to the Townies Podcast. I am Kim Maxwell, and I am a Townie. I am a Townie who loves other people's stories. I teach a weekly writing and performance workshop here in my ridiculously small fishbowl of a town nestled in the foothills of Ventura County. And for 25 years, the raw and vulnerable musings of my brilliant and courageous students have sent me home filled with hope. Some of my beloved students are seasoned professionals. Some have never even been on a stage before. But there they are, up in front of a live audience, flinging themselves and their brand new words into the abyss. Their reward? They have been heard. They matter. Their words matter. And the audience? Well, they have just officially been granted permission to do the same to go out there somewhere and take a big old risk. And that is the sacred exchange between terrified storyteller and gracious audience member. Permission. I love people's stories because stories are what connect us. This is the Townies Podcast. Welcome to the Neighborhood. Episode 13, Growing Pains. Here to get things started, The Next Wave, written and performed by Doug Green. Back for a third time on the Townies podcast, Doug Green has captured our hearts and our attention from the very first time he walked into my class six years ago. Must be that southern charm and that impossibly big heart. At just three minutes before midnight on March 12, 1928, the St. Francis Dam collapsed. A huge wall of cement holding back 13.7 billion gallons of water breaks apart, causing a watery wave 
of mud and debris to flow down the Santa Clara River Valley for 45 miles to the sea. The wave destroyed everything in its path, homes, crops, and people, burying the beauty of the green valley floor below. One giant figure, William Mulholland, stood at the heart and the helm of this project. His intentions may have been honorable, but the results were horrific. The crew at the power stations below the dam were the first to die. Mulholland commented that at times like this, I envy the dead. The official death toll stands at around 425, but unofficially hundreds of farm laborers were probably swept out to sea. Bodies were found as far away as Mexico. On Saturday, October 26, 1991, I took my own first trip to the Santa Clara River Valley. Another giant figure the artist Christo had installed hundreds of gold umbrellas along the Interstate 5, just north of Los Angeles, not very far from the ruins of the St. Francis Dam. I went there on a date. <laughs> Larry's from Oklahoma. He's got a big heart, and he carries a fancy Nikon camera. <laughs> Though he still sounds like an Okie, He's become an artsy Santa Barbara type. We make our way up the valley in Larry's red Porsche. He likes to pat the dash and say, this is my stallion. <laughs> the trip takes over an hour, so we stop to eat Mexican food in an area the road signs indicates is historic downtown Santa Paula. We laugh at the sign, but once I'm in Santa Paula, I'm struck by its beauty. The tiny red train station, the quaint downtown, the big red barn-like structure known as the mill. Leaving the taqueria, I declare, what a charming place. I want to live here. Larry replies unbidden, hush your mouth, child. <laughs> Haven't you learned anything about the power of intention? <laughs> You need to be more careful about what you put out into the universe. <clears throat> but for several years after, the visit to Santa Paula has me searching for a sense of real belonging that I haven't known since my Arkansas days. I long to be among regular folks who will remind me that I am regular too. A regular guy with roots in the country and kinfolks who grow their own food. My mamma was a fierce farmer's wife. Well, when my papa wasn't driving a truck during the Depression or running Green's Cafe during my dad's college days, she was as regular as they come on the outside. They lived close to the earth, <clears throat> raising vegetables and keeping livestock. Papa used to tell us that he'd rather name the chickens than eat them. <laughs> and he encouraged my brother Hal and I to name the chickens too. We gave them the names of famous baseball players like Joe DiMaggio and <laughs> Mickey Mantle and Hank Aaron. Ma Mama wasn't near as sentimental. She would walk out into the yard, eye a lot of them pecking in the grass, grab one by the neck, and with a quick flip of the wrist, pretty soon 
we'd be eating Yogi Berra for Sunday dinner. <laughs> so Mama was regular and firmly rooted in the country, except when she took Papa on crazy trips to places like London, England, where they were not regular, and returned home to Brown Springs and the Green Homestead, where she and Papa weren't regular either for a while until the England wore off, and they went back <laughs> to the chickens and running illegal cigarettes or the Tuesday special at Green's Cafe. I strive for regular, though it's an elusive goal. Brian and I moved to Santa Paula 15 years ago, and it seems to help. We go down to the town square for the Citrus Festival. Like a lot of small town carnivals, it has the leftover rides that fancier carnivals don't want anymore. <laughs> Some of them look downright dangerous. <clears throat> I guess that's the risk of appearing a little bit too regular. People don't trust that. They look at you like your safety bar has come unhinged, and you might be thrown headlong on top of them in a way that will embarrass both of you. But that day in Santa Paula, I don't see the others at the carnival that way. Not this time. I look at the crowd, and I think everyone is so beautiful really genetically gifted. And I turn to a friendly face and I say, what part of Mexico is this? And the friendly face just looks right back at me and says, Michoacan, of course. And I look to the kids and Brian and I gush, how cool, I have always wanted to live abroad. And it hits me, the somewhere I have longed for is here in Santa Paula, where the whole world will come to you if you just stand still. Living in a small town like Santa Paula, you can't afford to think of the other in the abstract. When you're living in a confined space with people, you notice your differences and either learn to celebrate them or to descend into misery, and I choose to celebrate. Mm -hmm. Santa Paula has the only known monument to the farm worker. It includes two beautiful bronze statues. One is a man harvesting fruit, the other a small girl planting seeds. The bronze shines beautifully in the Santa Paula sun. And when I see my neighbor see it, he flies into a blind rage, not unlike his reaction to Al Gore's inconvenient truth or the construction of the skate park downtown. Why the fuck would we honor farm workers? Why indeed? Why do we honor anyone? Why these people in particular? I think it may have something to do with the impact they have on our lives, the contributions they make to our culture, the indigenous spirit and beauty they bring. Hmm. Where to start? <laughs> First off, when I pass a field full of farm workers harvesting strawberries, the first thing I think is not how lazy these people are or how much I envy them for being able to cultivate a tan outside of a tanning salon or how they are surely taking jobs away from perfectly deserving white folks. Those thoughts don't rush to my mind. <laughs> Rather, I go to wonder and gratitude. Thank you for doing work that is literally backbreaking hard, carries toxic risks, and is so important to my life. Mm. 
I love strawberries. <laughs> These farm workers bring them to my table for $3 a pint. Not 300, which is what it, the actual cost would be to have entitled white folks get these to the far, from the farm to my house at Holly Road. I guess that's one of the things I love about living in Santa Paula. The immigrants that so many people malign are actually real to me. They are part of what makes me feel at home here. They bring beauty and culture and romance to the place. They, just like me, have found this place after a period of searching and longing, and we share the romantic sense of reward at the end of a long journey. We have landed together on this verdant, lucky square. It's Friday night, and Maria is at our table. She's a vegetarian and did a lot of the same things on her mind that most 20-somethings have. She's been seeing someone. Is he the one? She's teaching others to know their rights while she keeps a watch over her own shoulder. Will she survive? She's eating rice and beans prepared by a couple of carnivores. Will she survive? <laughs> The three of us talk about our paths to California. Brian left Grand Junction the day after high school graduation. I had my own soft landing in Santa Barbara. Maria tells her own story and shares the stories of others who came from Mexico with their parents as children. Courageous, heartbreaking, death and desert-defying stories. Stories that leave us feeling inspired by the sacrifices parents will make for the love of their children and painfully aware of our privilege. I meet Enrique for lunch at Fresh and Fabulous in downtown Oxnard. He's a community organizer. The cafe in the old Woolworths building with its signature pecan and cranberry chicken salad is appropriately named because that describes Enrique to a T. He is both fresh and fabulous. <laughs> He came from Oaxaca to pick berries in the field near here. He performs in a folklorico troupe. He is handsome, energetic, charismatic, and gay. He really struggled with coming out, but now he's fine, although he worries aloud that he'll never find a boyfriend. And I encourage him. So you're this overcommitted indigenous activist who lives in the fishbowl of public life. Who wouldn't want that? <laughs> He radiates joy and possibility, but make no mistake, he is vigilant in protecting the people he leads. Beneath his sweet exterior, there is a fiery passion for farm worker justice. Elliot is problematic. He wears a black cap with a narrow bill that gives his rugged face a very Che-like look. He is considered dangerous by many in the community based on the shape of his cap alone. I love danger. <laughs> and fashion, so I invite him to speak to a group of donors of the Social Justice Fund one Saturday morning. Elliot offers a detailed analysis of the socio-political and economic systems of a local region and the perils of institutionalized racism. And he finishes this 45-minute run-on sentence with an exploration of the militarization of the police in general and the border in particular. This has my donors shifting uncomfortably in their seats and staring meaningfully at their cell phones. And later, when I share the boatload of shit I receive for ever thinking that bringing Elliot to the meeting was a good idea, 
My friend Gabino rolls his eyes. Fucking liberals. <laughs> Mayberry Michoacan, with its charming people, cute little Fillmore and Western train that comes through with open cars full of tourists. Our main street is authentically vintage mid-century America reflecting a past of great prosperity. The majestic oil museum on 10th and Main stands as a monument to the influence of oil in building Santa Paula into the town it is today, yet so much has changed since the heyday of the Union Oil Company. There are two competing stores that sell Western wear to the immigrant community. There are bakeries and jewelry stores with Spanish-language names. I get my hair cut at Betty's. The shop is full of cheerful Spanish-language greetings and instructions and gossip. I catch every fourth or fifth word, which is like a serious improvement. <laughs> I stop at the garden market for takeout tacos and communicate mostly with my eyes because food is one thing and connection is another. At the register, I talk with the owner about kids and grandkids. She has this brilliant smile that I've come to rely upon when I'm stranded at home, working all day on something, for a shot of brightness in a world gone dim. I walk through my neighborhood and see the familiar faces, as well as those who've just wandered in, because it's such a fine place to walk with its oak-covered streets, dogs with names like Red and Tucker and Pee Pee who pull their owners along from interesting bush to interesting butthole. <laughs> Music drifts through the air, a teenager practicing his drums, neighbors on trumpet and piano, mariachis playing in the park, and occasionally snippets of a woman singing a Spanish love song. I breathe it in. This is a place of great depth as well as great joy. I imagine it is what is hidden beneath the surface of many small towns. They lull us into a false sense of simplicity that is interrupted by a brilliant neighbor's song or a glass of wine the neighborhood's amateur vintners have made or the musings of a card-carrying socialist. On the morning of November 9th, 2016, we are all feeling the earth rumble beneath us, waiting for the walls of our valley to collapse and bury our beauty, wiping out our cute little airport, our history of oil wealth and landscape painters like Doug Shively and the Botkeys, our little shrine to the farm worker, and our curious collection of musicians, socialists, immigrants, and old ag money. We are waiting for a second wave to wipe us all away to make room for, for what? Sparkling white? I am suddenly aware of the fragility of what we have co-created here. A sense of place that was not accomplished in spite of the infusion of immigrants, but because of it. It didn't arise apart from the radical Latino intelligentsia or without the clinging to the past by the old guard or even the random gay couple who has made this town home too. Mayhap, a magical moment of possibility created by the confluence of these disparate and improbable forces is about to pass without comment. It feels like the passing of America itself.
and that was Doug Green. Thank you, Doug. Holiday Cookies and Eggs, written and performed by Emilio Uribe. It has been my absolute pleasure to watch Emilio make the transition from brilliant punk-ass preteen to brilliant grown-ass man. I am super grateful that his humor, compassion, and beautiful words found their way to my studio, although he is still a bit of a punk-ass. I saw you today, and you reminded me of holiday cookies. I'd enjoy you any time of the year. (laughs) You affect me, I might ignore the signs, but you set a fire to my forest, and I'm in the middle of it, trying to keep my face right where the smoke is. I want to treat you like good chocolate treats me, comforting. But I'm afraid I might be the reason you lose that smile. I walked into a smoky room. Dad. Medical marijuana. Dad, cancer, eggs, would you please make me some eggs? Oh, my dad wanted some eggs, and I wouldn't make them for him. My brother and me just wanted microwavable popcorn, the equivalent of eating glass in his condition. We made popcorn. I was in the eighth grade. I didn't know how to make eggs. He was hungry yet patient, the two things I could never be at the same time. Inception was the movie we picked, and it got me thinking of dreams, and I passed out. The last movie I ever watched with my dad and I fell asleep. He was happy, as if he was in the middle of his best of times, but he was free-falling. I guess it was a joyride until we hit the ground. All I want is to keep my loved ones happy, to make up for the eggs I didn't cook for my dad, to make up for the continuous times I've lied to keep me from facing my trouble, and from the repercussions of my decisions and your smile. A smoky room. Dad. That smell always draws me an image of his best of times. That's what people want to be known for, their best of times. That's all I want you to see, is my best of times. So I probably shouldn't hang out with you too often. (laughs) When I see you smile, it gives me tunnel vision, and all I want to do is focus on keeping it right where it is. Distracting me from that book my mom gave me to read. It was his book. The book that stares at me on my bedside table, reminding me of all the things I've been told to do and haven't done, of all the same choices I keep making, and Pratt. Pratt is right by Shelf Road. People drive by it every day, and they don't realize they just passed the best thing about high. My fort. The only thing I've ever finished in my life. The branches that make up my fort are comforting, even though they left me cuts all across my arms when I was making it. Sometimes I need to get away from your smile because it's a reminder of what I fear most. you just heard from Emilio Uribe. Here with her brand new single, Lilies, is our lovely and talented friend, Lisa Ward. It's so nice here in my form. Yes. A 
artists and music featured on the townies podcast please visit the townies wonder woman written and performed by vanessa frank a renowned immigration and civil rights lawyer based out of ventura county i am ever so glad to have vanessa batting on my team because well, I wouldn't want to be on the other side of this badass mama Stanford grad. I'll tell you that. 
Vanessa Frank lives in Los Angeles. She spends a lot of time in New York, also Paris, London, and the Efe. She has a high-powered job advising senators, governors, and the UN Commission on Human Rights. She is always on the phone, switching planes, issuing orders to assistants, rolling up to her darling child's extracurriculars just in the nick of time. She eats at all the best restaurants, flies business class or chartered. She frequently consults for NPR, the New York Times, Univision, and has been featured on Fresh Air with Terry Gross three times. <laughs> Vanessa skis like a demon and enjoys summer yachting with friends around the Hamptons, the Greek Isles, or the Caymans. I love this Vanessa. La amo. She's a mensch. Así soy yo. She is me. I don't even live in L.A. <laughs> I live in Ventura, a place best known as, oh, Ventura. We've driven through there many times on our way to. (laughs) Also, I prep, cook, and wash up after all our daily meals. I pack lunches. I scoop the poop from the litter box. I dash from work to pile the kids in my dusty car to go home and sweep and sponge off the counter after they've made lemonade or mud pies. The common chit-chat around my town now revolves around our children, the swell, or a potential hike this weekend. Hiking. (laughs) Driving with friends to a nearby location to tramp along a trail thousands of other people have tramped along. only to see a view I might have enjoyed from someone else's beautiful balcony, lugging ever warmer water. (laughs) Then at some random point, we could do an about face and head back down the same trail to a now hot car. Ventura. (laughs) I long to live in a place where there isn't just one transgender friend, where there is Cantonese and Szechuan, where my child hears Yiddish outside the home, and I don't have to explain that Leonard Skinner is not okay. I want to be in the white-hot center of it all, big and brash and loud and busy, and I'm tired of being the only Mexi-Jew in town. It wasn't always like this. When I was little, I fit in, and all the options were open. In the one-two classroom of Montessori of West L.A., at lunchtime, the teacher's aide, Jenny, would turn off the lights. We would eat in the cool, reflected light from outside. We could sit wherever during lunch, and Jenny'd put the go-go's on the turntable. I have an image of the scene. Me walking from one room to the other, moving to the beat of the song. Kids got the beat. Everybody clap to the beat. Jump back, round, 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 round. Seems like we all, six, seven, eight-year-olds, were eating and bopping our heads in time to the beat of the song. Me, as Belinda Carlisle, gliding through the reading in the math centers. This was home. Like Pat Benatar, I belonged. Wonder Woman fought for her rights in her satin tights, and Ponch's brilliant white smile lit the L.A. freeways as he cruised towards his next crime-fighting adventure. Fernando Valenzuela pitched for my home team, and any time anyone wanted to come to the very best city on earth, they came and stayed at our home. When I got to high school, this warm cocoon of belonging opened into a world of possibilities. 
Ms. Parker and the Westlake School for Girls in Bel Air told us we were destined for greatness. We would be leaders in our field. After all, Shirley Temple, the child actress turned UN diplomat, Dr. Sally Ride, our first woman astronaut, and Mindy Cohn from The Facts of Life all went to my hospital. I knew I, too, would be the first, the best at something. I was going to be amazing. Later, I would be invited back to speak during the annual Women's History Month celebration. Someday, a girl in the senior class would dress up as me and deliver a few of my accomplishments from the stage to inspire the 700 girls sitting there to go on out there and make their own mark. I was expected to be somebody, to make an impact, and merit the investment of time, money, and care that had been poured into me. I dedicated myself to making social change, to bring justice to the world. Si se puede, tzedek, tzedek must be done. And here I am, in Ventura. (laughs) Yes, it's about 60 miles north of L.A., just about 30 miles south of Santa Barbara, about halfway between. Our county has almost, uh, almost one million people, <laughs> or a hundred. We, <laughs> we are the 63rd largest county in the United States by population, and the 13th in California. Everyone here knows me by reputation as a solid immigration attorney and advocate of immigrant rights. I received an award of recognition from the Ventura County Women Lawyers Association. At 42, I should be ready to launch into the world, to jump that jet and make that presentation at the big conference. I can take Ventura County to the world. I graduated from Stanford University and Stanford Law School. Instead, I'm sorting through seven-year-old prunes in my pantry, reorganizing the (laughs) shelves at 11 o'clock on a Friday night. Where did I go wrong? I was this enormous bright balloon rising up up, up. But the end has somehow come undone, and now I'm a pile of collapsed rubber just lying on the floor. When I close my eyes, even for a blink, all I can feel is tired. I just want to sleep. I don't want to go out. My sleep is like a deep rolling wave that crashes over me. I've got a terrible head cold, and I'm feeling good and well out of my depth and in over my head and so very, very tired. When, when, oh when, is the cavalry coming? And the more tired I am, the more commitments I take on. (laughs) The more I sign up for stuff. I'm up for anything. You only live once. Rest when you're dead. But right now, I feel less Nelson Mandela, Susan B. Anthony, Martin Luther King Jr. than ever. I don't even feel Bette Midler, Barbara Streisand. I'm the wind beneath no one's wings. I'm really just very, very tired. I'm so tired and tired of carrying my torches. Why am I spending my free time cleaning the fish tank? My collared work shirt only half buttoned. I check emails. I let dough rise on the counter. I'm responding to text messages and a a post on Facebook about the upcoming citizenship fair. My hair is strapped back by some old plastic H&M hair clips. I've got bills that are past due. I've got cat vomit on the new floors. I'm prickly hot from hoofing it up and down the stairs with the laundry. My boy stops me mid-hustle. He says, Mama, the Wonder Woman movie is coming out soon. Do you want to go? Is he mocking me? 
No, he, he's really asking me. He's asking me. I look at his earnest face and I realize it's an invitation. It's a perception of how he sees women in the world, how he sees me. So I flip through the phone to find the app and I order the tickets for next Friday, opening day. There's a show right after school. I'll go to work, then dash to the school to pick him up, get him in the dusty car and go back downtown and, uh, and we'll sit there in that theater on Main Street. No shit, Main Street. <laughs> Our feet will stick to the floor, generations of candy and spilled soda. I don't know what lies in the future. I'm exhausted beyond all recognition, and I'm not even getting half of what I want to done. But for now, I'm going to borrow what my son sees in me. I'll sit in that dark theater, eating that crappy popcorn with the fake butter all over it, with my son who actually thinks I'm Wonder Woman. The next morning, we'll get up at 9 and go lead the citizenship fair to take back the house in 2018. That was Vanessa Frank closing out this week's episode. I'm from here. Here's the story. Please join us every other Tuesday for a new round of freshly minted stories. I am Kim Maxwell of Kim Maxwell Studio. And we teach people to launch their stories loudly and unapologetically into the world. To laugh more, risk more, and have bigger lives. The Townies Podcast is co-produced by Lily Brown, Asa Larmonth, and Ken Eros. Studio engineering and mixing by Eros Creative and Sound. The Townies theme song was written and performed by Rain Perry, recorded and mixed by Martin Young, and mastered by Mark Hallman at the Congress House. The Townies podcast is in part made possible by a generous grant from the Ojai Arts Commission and the City of Ojai, a small town with big stories. You can find out more about us at thetowniespodcast.org. Thank you for listening. So you, I just go when I when I go. You just yeah, got me I just running. Have it running so. Yeah. Well, I guess I guess you can afford a lot of tape. <laughs> it's so easy. Ken yeah. and I are also super clever between the takes. Oh, so uh, uh, you want you want to capture that? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so yeah. Funny. I'd love to see some evidence of that. Yeah. Okay. Let's just get one more just as a safety, but I think we have it. Thank it's you. Really great. Can you work poop in there somewhere? Just throw, <laughs> just randomly just say poop. I'm sorry. I don't. I don't. I don't, I don't work blue. Yeah. <laughs>